And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, Hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology and today's host of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, and today, Amazon PPC strategies. We're going to be talking about the ones that work and the ones that don't work. We have uh, a friend and a colleague here today as our guest, but before I introduce him, a shout out to our sponsor, Fullscale.io. Today's episode is sponsored by Fullscale, and hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Mina, founder of Trivium, welcome to the show. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, hustlers? Hey, this is the first time my startup family, uh, startup hustle family has gotten a chance to meet uh, and hear from Mina, but me and Mina have been connected for several years in the Amazon space. Um, we just collabed a booth together at the Sell and Scale Summit by Helium 10 in Vegas. Um, had a lot of fun doing that. If anyone's been following my content, uh, you know, Mina's, Mina and his team were, were with us there as well. Um, we're on the stage, sharing the same stage all the time. So excited to be um, getting a chance to interview you today uh, here on Startup Puzzle Podcast. Dude, thank you. I'm I'm very excited. I still remember the first day we met, man. We were it was a very random in at Prosper, uh, in that limo, and you were telling me your story. I was like, damn, dude, what a story. That was so cool, man. So, I mean, I and and to think that that was like a year and a half ago. I feel like I've known you like forever. Yeah, I know. It's it's because um of the opportunities to to make memories and connect, and we talk a lot. Um. We talk a lot online, a lot through social media, you know, and, and we get together in events, but like always bouncing around. And this is how you build a brand, you know, and it's something that you're not only building a company with Trivium, um, but building an influencer based brand around Mina as well, which I really resonate with and have been working on for several years myself. So um, always love chatting it up. These these shows, uh, a startup hustle. I love before we get into just like let's talk PPC and Mina talks. Uh, he's Egyptian. He talks a million miles a minute, uh, so I gotta slow him down. But before I like cut him loose on just like you know PPC and he blows your mind around some stuff that's working or there. Uh, I want to talk into Mina's like you know um, some of your background. Like I know you started as an engineer. You built a supplement brand. The supplement brand turned into Trivium, um, you know, and everything like that. But for people that don't know. Um, you know, did you start out in an entrepreneurial family? Uh, did you go to school to be an entrepreneur? Did you think you're going to be a business owner? Um, you know, where does your journey with entrepreneurship begin? Uh, very good question, man. There's no one in my family that's an entrepreneur. Uh, I think they're probably the opposite. I, you know, maybe my dad has a little bit of entrepreneurship in him, but uh, nothing that like actually materialized. Um, and, you know, I just don't know how I became an entrepreneur, but I know one thing is I was born not to be controlled. Like you cannot control me. And, and I, I knew that from a very long time. And obviously going into like an engineering nine to five, I was, you know, I did it. I did it. And I was the the best. Like, uh, you know, I, so, so I let's came start in. There. So, so you, you were in, uh, you grew up in Dubai, correct? 
Yes, sir. I grew up in Dubai, uh, you know, high school, huge troublemaker, but I had straight A's, uh, you know, got like uh, something like, uh, you know, 1500 out of 1600 on the SATs, um, did my SAT2s, took the AP tests. Like I was very, very, very intelligent in school, uh, but I was like the biggest troublemaker as well. Bored. So you're bored. You're bored, I think, uh, you know, and it's like, why do I have to do the same thing as everyone else if I'm better? Like, that's how I felt like, you know, it's like, if I can just read this textbook and take the test, why are you going to make me sit here for eight hours? Uh, if you're going to just take me a test out of the textbook, like that's kind of how I felt in school. And so it, it resulted in me being somewhat of a troublemaker. Uh, there's a couple teachers that I wasn't a troublemaker to, and that's because they had actually done the real things, like a history teacher that had actually traveled the world and then was telling stories about it. And I was like, okay, I'll listen to him. Uh, but most of the teachers were just reading from the textbook. And I was like, I can read the textbook in two seconds and take this test. Like I want to go to the restroom, you know? So, uh, just resonating a little bit there, like, you know, and that can, that's common to so many people. Um, okay. So you get great scores on the SATs. Is that what got you out of Dubai? Yeah. So in Dubai, man, um, very little known fact, they are a little bit, uh, like on the racist side, right? Where, uh, it's not like the racism you see here in America, but more like if you are an American citizen or you're a Canadian citizen, you're going to get a much better salary uh, and a lot more stability than if you are, um, you know, an Egyptian citizen. Okay. And so, and the other thing was, uh, you can never become a, a UAE citizen, so you don't feel really stable. And and they make it very very clear that like you're on my territory, and we can kick you out whenever you want. Whenever we want, we can kick you out. So like. You know, so were you born in Egypt? Were you born in Egypt and then moved to Dubai young? Yeah, two years old, I moved to Dubai. So pretty much I grew up there. That's all I knew. Uh, we'd go back to Egypt on vacations. But as a result of that, I'm like, okay, the plan is go to America or Canada, you know, get a bachelor's, master's, you know, become very well educated, uh, get a citizenship there, and then come back to Dubai and make boatloads of money. And, um, you know, I, I was supposed to go to Canada. That didn't work out because they rejected my student visa. I ended up going to uh, America, Connecticut, you know, because out of desperation. And that's where, you know, I kind of studied and, and uh, bachelor's, master's, uh, worked up the corporate ladder. White America in Connecticut, yeah. for sure. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> and similar path, you know, I grew up, I was born in Montreal, raised in Africa, Cameroon, Botswana, Moscow, uh, Congo. Uh, came back to the U.S. at 16. Very similar in regards to like, where's home? Where do I want to be? Like, you know, uh, just looking and watching and seeing how do people make money? How do people live? Like, what's the best way to do it? Um, and then coming and being like, okay, I'm going to learn how to be American. Uh, at that time for me, I didn't really understand. You're like, okay. So, um, and I went into computer science, which is, um, you know, a bachelor's of science. Uh, and you went into um, uh, engineering. So chemical you know, engineering, yeah. chemical engineering. Uh, and that was that just something that you're just like, because money was the main driver or because you're like, I'm smart. This is a hard degree. I know it makes a lot of money. Um, That's it. That's exactly it, bro. It was like, I'm smart. I could do whatever. I knew I didn't want to be a, a doctor. I'm like, what's going to make me the most amount of money? Um, it, it was very like, you know, and then I would ask my dad and he'd be like, do what you love. And I'm like, how does a 17 year old or a 16 year old know what they love? How do I know if I love chemical engineering or mechanical engineering or whatever else? So um, the, the advice that I got uh, was not great. And I don't think that it's on my parents. I think that, you know, if you go into any average uh, household and you ask, you're like, hey, what should your son study? And is it like, whatever they want? I'm like, 
did you ever stop to consider that they don't know what they want or it's impossible for them to figure it out without like, hey, let me take you, uh, you know, to a couple of like engineers and and shadow their day and, and a couple of marketers shadow their day. And then maybe you get a better idea of what you want to do. But, uh, you know, I kind of asked and people are like, oh, like petroleum engineering, chemical engineering, you're, you're so much money. Obviously, you know, you, you get paid um you know, in direct proportion to how much value you add, not uh, based on like the degree. So if yeah. you're like a monkey and with a chemical engineering degree, you're not going to pay get paid a lot of money. Yeah. So it's not just guaranteed based on on the degree. You know, I grew up in a family where money was always a struggle. Uh, we didn't care about money as much, um, but it was always a problem in the family. You know, like the amount of it, the lack of it, and so you know, I. Uh, coming back to the US, I was in school for computer science, but I was chasing music. So I was trying to do what I loved. But building a backup plan to be like, I knew if I got out of school with a computer science degree and networking and security, I would get a job, like I would guarantee to get a job and probably be making more than like most of the parents I knew most of the dads I knew. And so for me, that was like, safety and security in a way. Um, and there weren't a ton of like computer science degrees then either. There were just like a couple and it was like pick one, you know, it's either programming or networking and security or, you know, IT. Um, and there was no like go shadow someone. There was no like, I mean, honestly, I looked at the guys doing IT at that time and they were like usually like scrawny or overweight. <laughs> they were like the branding of it was not good, right? Like t-shirts tucked in that are too big there's no style in it like nowadays it's like you can be cool as heck and be a programmer you know or whatever but like nothing about it was attractive to me like i just no one i wanted you know i wanted to have a cool lifestyle and be cool and like so i had this brain to do it but i was like ah, i just i don't know if this is what i love you know like having it's to like coexist with these people even that i don't they don't talk about music or fashion or girls or anything it was like nerd 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 just couldn't relate. I couldn't find my place. Um, so I'm just sharing a little bit of color because I think it's relatable. It's like, you know, you don't know these things till you get in it, but you just have these vision of like, well, I, I want to be able to support my family. So I'm going to get this job. And, um, you know, okay, so so you get the job in Connecticut, or you go to school in Connecticut, uh, bachelor's and master's? Bachelor's in, yeah, bachelor's in chemical engineering, master's in industrial engineering. I get the job, uh, Medtronic. Uh, I'm working there, um, you know, and, and you realize you're kind of like a hamster in like this very big cage and you're running on a hamster wheel and I'm doing all these little things and I'm a, I'm a small cog in the wheel. Nothing that I do really matters. There's so much red tape. Um, and, and so I end up moving from there to a, another company and another company. And it's, it, you know, it's kind of more of the same. It's like, you're going here in Connecticut, all in Connecticut. I, I, I was, uh, two, um, week, I would say at the time, uh, and, and comfortable with where I was and, and didn't have kind of like the balls to just say, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick up and leave. I was like, man, everyone in the gym, in all of the gyms knows me. Uh, you know, I, I, I know all of these different people from different places. I have a hookup for everything. It, it's, it would be very uncomfortable, um, for me to leave. And now I'm like, dude, I, if I'm comfortable somewhere, I got to get myself uncomfortable. Like I thrive in, in, in discomfort because, um, that's when I know I'm growing. And if I, the second that I get comfortable, that's when like my spidey sense is tingling, like, dude, this is dangerous. Like you're getting Scary. comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you're going to get hurt. Okay. So you're, you're at your third company in a hamster wheel. Uh, I know you're in the fitness, like where does, uh, MMA come into the picture? 
Yeah, so 2013, uh, I'm in uh, college and, and my uh, friend hits me up and he's like, hey man, I just joined an MMA gym and it was killer. And all my life I've wanted to do like kickboxing and, and um, you know, my uh, parents never let me. They're like, oh, look at what Muhammad Ali happened to him and he's on a wheelchair now and all this stuff. And um, so they never let me do any competitive, um, you know, sports, uh, like any contact sports like that. And so as soon as he said that, I'm like, dude, I I want to do it too. Like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm jealous. And so I ended up uh, looking for an MMA gym around my house. And there was a Henzo Gracie gym right there, one mile from my, uh, where I was living. So I went there, I, I joined the class. Uh, it was a wrestling class. And at the end of the class, they're like, how'd you like it? I'm like, I want to sign up right now. They're like, how long? I'm like, like, what is it? Like a year contract, give me a year contract. And I signed up for a year. And after that, I never looked back. It was one of the best decisions, if not the best decision that I've ever made, uh, because it taught me so much like mindset stuff, right? Like full accountability, uh, like no excuses, hard work, 1% uh, better every day, like all of these like amazing things that I now apply to life and business uh, I got from MMA. And, and some people like talk about it and they say it, but like when you live it in like a different area of your life, it's so much easier more easily transferable than if you're just like talk about it and say yeah like one percent better every day i'm like but i know what one percent better every day looks like i know what it's like to show up to the gym miserable tired and then push through and and still get beat up and still get your face smashed in um like i felt that and so when i bring it to real life i'm like i know what the feeling should feel like and i and i can transfer it over versus just kind of it being like Kind of there. I mean, it was just it was a lot easier for me to 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 in reality bring it over from tangible, MMA. yeah, from MMA straight to like business or my life. And so it was an amazing decision for me, 2013. And uh, I still train. So uh, you know, this morning I was at jujitsu, um, you know, and and I do it, you know, four or five times a week, uh, sometimes three times a week. Um, I haven't competed for a while. I had like a surgery and on my lung and shit, but. Um, you know, I, I fought many times, I competed in jiu-jitsu many times, and uh, just a huge, huge, uh, you know, fan of the sport. I'd have been, I'd have been a big fan. I was into the sport at the same time, um, a little bit, a little bit before 2013, uh, like maybe 11, before it even kind of the UFC got bigger, and before they started having the gyms, it was like very much like meetups and clubs, and I just loved everything about it. Um, the respect. I just love the respect uh, in the sport and like um, the training. And I like, you know, I'm like tall and lanky. So I was like, everyone wanted to uh, box with me. Like I, I never fought myself, but I was in a gym that had a lot of people fighting and they wanted to spar with me. And I love that. Like they're like, I'm trying to get rounds with you, Drew. And I was just like, yeah, let's go. Like I'm just about to give box me the tall you. guy. Give me the long yeah. guy. Yeah, because they just the short guys that were wrestlers, like wanted to get that practice in, you know, and they'd be a lot bigger than me back then. But it was just it was it was fun knowing that you were getting to compete but without like really hurting each other like you know i wasn't in the ring so it was just it really was fun for me i'm a computer science guy getting to like you know spar and stuff and i can see you know an engineer that's really fit uh getting in the ring that would have been a cool story you know yeah. um so i know that that's a big part of your life i wanted to bring that up because i think it leads to like the brand that you built uh you know in regards to like fitness and supplements and things like that so 2013, the MMA portion starts of your life. Um, and then like, you know, you're, I, I don't know where you were in, the, in regards to like your third company, but when does the supplement stuff come into the play? So uh, 2013, I start MMA. 2014, I graduate with my bachelor's. Um, I work and then 2018, I graduate with my master's. 
Now, around that time, I'm in my last company that I ever worked for. Uh, I'm miserable. I'm waking up at 4.30 in the morning, uh, going to the gym, uh, working out, commuting 45 minutes, working for nine hours, commuting back, going straight to MMA, training for three hours, going to bed. I uh, felt like my life was, you know, pretty much being, you know, stolen from me. Like it just, it was just flying by with no meaning at all. And, uh, you know, a lot of things, negative things happened um, over there, like my last job. So one of them being like, I would show up at 7.10 and uh, the boss would be like, hey, uh, I'm going to take the, those 10 minutes out of your personal time off next time. And I'm like, dude, like I am out here hustling for you, like making money. Um, you know, I, I went from like zero to managing millions and millions in dollars uh, in a project. Um, and it's like, oh, 10 minutes. Like, I'm like, okay, so what if I showed up early and left late and then didn't do shit during the day? But anyways, as the second thing was, uh, I was driving home from work one day when it was snowing, back roads, uh, 10 miles an hour, my car sli starts sliding, it crashes. Uh, minor crash, obviously going that slow. Uh, but I take it home and I'm like, hey, like I need some time in the morning to get my car fixed at the mechanic and then I'll be at work. And um, you know, this is like with a broken bumper and everything, just like getting the tire back in place. Um, and she's like, okay, cool. Like uh, I'm, you're on your own time tomorrow. We're going to take, take it out of your personal time. And I'm like, bro, what is this like slavery? Like, I, so I was so sick and fed up of, of, uh, of that. And I was in, I, I went on vacation uh, to Egypt. And while I was there, I was having conversation with my dad. Basically, he noticed that I was like browsing through a lot of supplements and I, he knows I'm a, a fanatic of supplements. And then he asked me the question, like, why don't you create your own supplement brand? And, um, you know, I was like, dude, it's too expensive. Like, it's way too expensive. He's like, how much does it cost? Like, what are the costs? And that was the question that sparked like, okay, like, you know, I mean, I mean, what what, yeah, what is the cost? Like, let's look at the raw ingredients. Uh, if I bought it on Amazon in bulk, if I mixed it at home, uh, if I got packages, if I got stickers, if I hired a designer, uh, if I incorporated my LLC, um, you know, and obviously like asked a bunch of people questions and I was like, you know what? I can make this for five and sell it for 25 on Amazon. Like this is, this is, this is a thing. And, um, at the time I was like, dude, you know, what do I have to lose at this point? Like, I already hate my life. I can't hate it anymore. Like, you know, maybe if you like put me in jail or something, okay, then I could hate my life more. But, uh, you know, and, and it kind of sucks to say that because, you know, thank God I was so blessed to be living in an amazing place and have food and, and was able to support my family a little bit. Um, but I mean, I, I was not living life. I, w I really, I wasn't. And so I, I said, let's, let's do it. And so September 14th, I had the conversation with my dad, September 23rd, uh, the ingredients showed up on my door. Uh, when I was back in America, I had already formulated uh, a supplement and I was going to create a supplement, uh, an electrolyte supplement because I was an MMA fighter. I was sweating a ton uh, at the gym, three hours of sweat. Uh, and I wasn't, you know, taking back the electrolytes. I was on keto. I needed more electrolytes. And so I started dry scooping chicken broth uh, to get like that amount of sodium in like thousands, you know, two, one, 2000 milligrams of sodium in. And I was like, dude, there's got to be a better way. So I made that. Disgusting. And, um, yeah, I, I made it because everything on the market was super low sodium. Uh, and by the way, sodium is a massive performance enhancing uh, like ingredient. So if you want to test adding one to 2000 milligrams of sodium a day, if you're already drinking like a decent amount of water and like see how better, how much better you can perform. And so 
I, I uh, started taking it. I noticed an improvement. Uh, I didn't want to be biased. So I gave it to my friends, didn't tell them it was my company. They started taking it. They noticed an improvement. And I'm like, okay, like maybe I have something. And, and so that's how MMA was born. So October 10th uh, was when I officially incorporated, when I was confirmed with my friends that this is a product that actually works and they liked it. And so September 23rd is when, when I uh, arrived in America, uh, mixed the stuff up in my kitchen. October 10th, I incorporated. Uh, November 2nd, it, it was my first like soft launch where I showed up to an MMA event and I had like 40 bags of the product and I sold 25 and they asked me, where can I buy this product? And I was an idiot because I was an engineer and not a, a business owner or e-commerce person or whatever. And I said, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't want to say I don't know. So I said, it's going to be on Amazon soon. And that was the lie that got me into Amazon. Okay. I love that story. Number one. Number two, um, my reasons for starting Marknology uh, was like, you know, showing up to work. I had a 45 minute commute each way. Uh, it was the worst part of my day each day because it was like wasted. I wasn't building a business. So I wasn't like listening to podcasts or like fueling like my brain constantly. Um, I wasn't making the most of those times, but I hated the drive. Um, I could get a ticket on the way, just, you know, a bunch of different things that happen. You're trying to get it to work on time. I worked all the time, uh, night hours, sometimes like holidays, weekends. I was making the company millions of dollars on Amazon and e-commerce at the time. Um, and I was getting written up for being five minutes late or 10 minutes late or something, knowing I spend, I make it up all the time. Dude, we're the and, same person. <laughs> yeah, we are. Because like that literally was like a thing for me. And then. Um, the other one was they took away, like, I basically had one work from home day before, like it was a common thing, like on Wednesdays. And that was like, my life kind of sucked. I was going through a divorce. So I was putting all my time into like e-commerce and Amazon in the gym. Actually, I was going like, I would just come home, go to the gym, cook dinner, go to bed, do it again. And, um, and the Wednesday was like a day where I got to work from home and just not be around certain coworkers and like, just get alone time. And it was like a really big deal for me. And they took it away. Uh, because someone in customer service didn't think it was fair that salaried employees got to do this or something. I don't remember. But it was these little things like that, the commute. I was like, how do I get an hour and a half back that I hate every day to where I don't hate it? And then, um, you know, why am I being written up for these small things? It's like, it made me want to like steal time somewhere else because they were like punishing me for five minutes. Like, you know, it made me, and I don't want to do that. So, super cool that you share that part. And and I think that if you're a high achiever, these things can just like eat at your soul. Like, you know, you're just like, this you're is thinking, exactly how to get rid of a high achiever is, is like those things like written up for time, not incentivized for performance. Uh, like, you know, the, the nickel and diming of, of all of these things. And it's like, dude, like our, I think our personality type, um, if you had brought me to a company and you're like, dude, like we're unleashing you, like, this is your division. Like, do whatever it takes like, and, it. and you'll get a, like a, yeah, I and get a cut. I would like just dude. I would kill it. I would make so much revenue for that company. Uh, I would like, you know, do whatever it takes resourceful, um, talk to everyone. Like I would build, uh, you know, a business within their business, but you find someone like that and then you, you cage them and you're like, Oh, like we need you on a computer. We need you in an office. We need you, you know, on your chair. And you're like, okay, perfect. This is the exact. Cause, Cause everyone else will get upset. Like, that's what it always was. Like, hey, I know you're killing it, but everyone else is upset. And I'm like, well, I'm the one crushing it. And they're the ones not. 
and I'm doing outperforming three or four people, why you care about five minutes? You know, I'm getting my work done in three hours and an eight hour shift and then I'm doing more. Uh, it just, it's absolutely crazy. Um, okay. So, you know, the PPC company was launched and you figured out we have to speed up a little bit because I want to get to some Amazon, but really this is the good shit. So, you know, you're, you launch your company, uh, you're like, you tell people it's going to be on Amazon. So then you had to go back it up. And that's where you just started being like, okay, I'm going to figure out that I need UPCs. I'm going to figure out keyword research. And I'm going to like, did you take a course or like, how did you really figure out Amazon? Nah, there was no courses or anything back then. I think actually the only one that was there was Amazing Selling Machine, but I had figured everything out by making mistakes uh, in, in the frame of 21 days. So in 21 days, I made a tremendous amount of mistakes. Um, enough to take me from not knowing anything about Amazon, learn consuming every single YouTube video, article, podcast, not maybe not even podcast, but like YouTube video and article out there to getting the product live on Amazon, forging my certificate of analysis and invoice and all of this bullshit that Amazon asks for that doesn't re really matter. And uh, I got on Amazon and then I found the amazing selling machine uh, course, which I then pirated, watched. Uh, you know, it, it showed me all of the mistakes that I had already made. So I was like, ah, it would have been nice to take this course before. Um, and then from there, dude, uh, it was just obsession. It was, um, kind of like, Hey, do you, do you want to leave this miserable life that you have? This is your way out. This is your way out. And so all I did was eat, sleep, breathe Amazon for six months. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, the biggest inflection point I think was, um, or the first biggest one was when I went to a conference, I, there was like basically a CPC strategy and also now known as Tenuity or whatever. They had this like conference in New York city. And I went there and I asked like every single question under the sun you could ask to every single person. And I basically, I spent $300 on an early bird ticket and I got like $16,000 worth of like consultations. And so I took all of that knowledge back. I implemented it. Um, and then on, on April 30th, uh, I got fired. They, they let me go. They said, listen, like, I mean, they didn't even give a reason, but I, they're probably like, this guy doesn't even give a fuck anymore. And so I got fired uh, and I drove at that day. I had a, a, a meeting at AW, uh, AWS in New York city. They had this like little meetup. Casper was there, but the, the best thing is they had like, uh, people from Seattle, from Amazon, like uh, the Amazon ads, like PPC. And so I went there. And I'm like, hey, I want to ask you a question. Um, can I tell you about my Amazon PPC strategy and tell me if it's a good one or not? And so I just, I'm like, blah, 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 blah auto campaign, broad phrase, exact, blah, blah. and then her jaw dropped. And she's like, uh, she's like, honestly, I think like, you know, more than I do. And I'm like, man, like I'm on my own. Like, like there is no one out there coming to save me. And, and so that was uh, the combination of being fired, driving home, being like, okay, like this is it, man. Like, I mean, what happens, what's the worst that's going to happen, right? If I, if I pursue this, I fail after six months, I don't make any money. I can't pay my bills. Fine. I'll get another job. Exactly the same as this one that, that sucks that I hate, but like, you know, who cares? I'll, I'll just, it'll be the same. So what do I have to lose? Nothing. But I went all in and, and, uh, it was after that conversation when I realized no one was coming to save me and there's no silver bullets out there. And I just, you know, I doubled down. So I packed up all of my shit. I put it in a car. I left my apartment and I went to Egypt for four months, stayed with my grandma, spending 500 bucks a month on bills, uh, like total, total bills and saving every dollar that came in uh, from the business. So that was, 
you know, four thousand uh, dollars in profit was coming in, uh, and and by the end of those four months, I was making about ten thousand dollars a month in profit. I, I reinvested everything in, that I had into PPC and into reviews, and and uh, the the product started selling more. And that's eventually, you know, I moved to LA after that, and that's kind of like where the business really started becoming, you know, a business, and and things took off. I love that story so much. Uh, I even had my own time where. Amazon contacted me about my store landlocked, my apparel company. <clears throat> They're like, we're coming to Kansas City. We want to meet with you. We'll have a private meeting. This is in the early days. It's like, yes, I'm going to like, I had a whole list of questions. I was just like going to blast them. And I get there and she's like, um, she's like, I just like, you know, show you how to upload words on your page. <laughs> like wow. she was just like the, the SEO that we call it now, but it was like, I just like, you know, help you get content up on your page. Not like, show you how to do a strategy, nothing like that. I was just like so disappointed because at that point I had never talked to anyone about Amazon really. I was like doing it myself and um, I was like, I'm going to actually get to talk to Amazon. They're going to have so many answers for me and I'm just going to like, this is going to be amazing. Somehow they found out about my brand and it was just like this, like, no, it's actually on you to learn all this stuff and, you know, figure it out uh, because there's no one out there that's coming to save you. Um, you know, and then also like you, you left a great point for any like young entrepreneurs that are maybe not already successful founders tuning into the show. Um, one of the most important things I think to getting your startup off the ground, so many people spend so much time and energy into getting other people to support them, like fund my business. Like I can't do this without this. I can't do this without this. I'm a bootstrap guy. Uh, Mina is a bootstrap guy. Um, you know, you don't have to have other people say yes to your ideas. Like, and one of the major things I think to make it successful is to lower your expenses as much as possible. So you can just continue to put more money back in the business. Um, if you hadn't been in Egypt with $500 a month living expenses and you're paying like, you know, three grand or four grand or whatever it costs to live as an American in Connecticut, I don't know. Um, but it I don't think it would have happened. I don't think I would have been able to take off. And honestly, like, yeah, yeah, maybe I, I can do that because I have a house in Egypt, but like anyone who's listening to this podcast can go do that in Thailand, uh, yep. you know, go live out or Mexico there. or a lot of, you know, a lot of e-commerce people are in Latin America because it's just an easier jump. Um, but you very much can. You very much can. It's part of the reason I've stayed in Kansas City. It's like it's not Egypt, uh, but it's a lot lower than New York or L.A., you know, yeah, and yeah. so, you know, um, as far as just like in my goals. We're a lot, you know, further past mine, my, my, you know, my family and things like that. And it was like, what is feasible? Um, you know, I rented, I was in a third bedroom uh, with uh, two twin sisters. They had, they had the other rooms. I moved into their house. It was a small bedroom. Like they had five animals uh, and, you know, like there was nowhere to really study or put out my computer or work. And I sat in my bedroom and I just, you know, I grinded. Um, that was a step back, but those were like, you know, those were moves I made to get where I am. And I just wanted to point that out. Like, you know, that, um, kind of eating a little bit of dirt, like as Gary Vee would say, or whatever is like, you know, that's what it is. It's eating dirt to get ahead. Um, a huge thing. So let's talk about advertising for like the last 15 minutes. So I we've reached that. like, I mean, like, why does someone have like, you know, I used to have to explain to people why I was an Amazon expert. Um, and I've even started calling myself less of an Amazon expert and more of just an industry leader because I'm not an expert at much. Uh, but I am like, you know, I am pushing the industry in regards to Amazon and e-commerce and how it's all working together and want to be, want to be that. So let's speak it out. Um, you know, and it's like, well, how do you become, well, it's because I've got 11 years of doing this, you know, it's got thousands of hours of doing this. Uh, it's because I built my own brand. It's because, uh, I used to be a chemical engineer, uh, you know, like a 
1500 score SAT at the age of 17. Like, let me take the test now. Let me take the test now. You know, like, that's how I feel. Uh, and it's like, you know, and then I, I applied that to something else that created freedom in my life. Um, and so, you know, Trivium is a PPC agency. We know that, um, you know, PPC is a big part of a brand being successful or not on Amazon. Um, let's just jump into, and, and let me give a shout out to our sponsor before we jump into this next question, but fullscale.io, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, we can build a software team quickly and affordably use a full scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Um, their search software for talent is actually like really, really cool. Um, you should check it out. Uh, fullscale.io. But Mina, okay, so you know we're talking about um, we're talking about Amazon PPC strategies that work, and you know you laid your strategy out to an Amazon rep who said, uh, "Mina, I think you know more than me." And this is even you know when you were just getting started. Um, to any of our listeners out there, maybe they have an Amazon store, they don't have an Amazon store because this is a podcast by founders for founders. Um, what are some things that are working in Amazon advertising and even go so far as to explain like why a brand needs ads on Amazon. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into it. Right. The equation on Amazon is for me pretty simple. It's traffic and conversions. Um, half of the, of the equation is traffic. So bringing people into your listing and then obviously trying to bring those people as cheap as possible. If you bring them in for free, that's amazing. Um, you know, but that would probably require like hours, uh, man hours, right? Uh, so there's still some sort of cost at some level. So there's traffic, there's conversions. Uh, now, first thing is obviously make sure that your conversion rate is decent because for those people that are coming into your listing, a certain percentage percentage of them are gonna buy and, and convert. And so if that percentage is low, you, whatever you do with your ads, nothing's going to fix it. So now let's talk about traffic. Traffic is, you know, half the equation. Half of it is is uh, organic and the other half is paid. Uh, now, organic, we really can't control that much. We used to be able to do some some things to manipulate the, the ranking, like search, find, buy, uh, where you basically have people like look for a keyword, find your product, buy it. Uh, but let's talk about kosher things. So you know, organically optimize your SEO. That's all you can do. Now, paid is is where you can make the money, right? Where you can actually pay money uh, to show your product in front of people. People will click on it. They'll come in. They'll convert. Now, uh, a certain percentage of them will convert. So the first piece of like solving that ads puzzle is tracking. And so what are the things that you need to be tracking? If you're not, if you're still unsure of like your click-through rate or whatever, you should be Sorry, you should be tracking PPC spend, PPC sales, total sales, sessions. Sessions is the important one, right? Which is the number of unique Amazon accounts coming into your listing. Um, you know, your clicks, uh, impressions, click-through rate, conversion rate, cost per click, uh, cost per session. So how much it, does it cost you to drive that traffic? And then your profit. And by doing that, you now understand you're going to take actions and you're, uh, you're going to pull certain levers and you're go going to measure um, what's happening. And so there's two modes to, to operate uh, on Amazon. The first one is to be, you know, scaling. So you're basically launching new campaigns uh, or increasing the bids on your existing campaigns or increasing budgets or whatever, spending more money, tracking that you're spending that more money, uh, looking at your sessions, having a proportional growth in that session, making sure that your click-through rate is, is decent because 
um, what what launching campaigns and increasing bids and all that stuff is going to do is it's going to get you more impressions. More people are going to see you, but that doesn't necessarily translate into people wanting to click on you. So if you have a problem there uh, where, okay, you went from 50,000 people seeing you to 200,000 people seeing you, uh, but you only got 5% more clicks, then you know that you have a problem there, that more people are seeing you, but they're just not interested in clicking. And that that's a whole separate conversation where maybe you can use like PickFu or Product Pinion or one of those tools to, you know, take a screenshot of your you in the search results and say, hey, like, which one would you choose and why? And like, tell me, you know, why wouldn't you choose mine? And, and um, so let's say, assuming you have a good click-through rate, you're now noticing your spend is going up your sessions should be going up because that that is how effective your ads are. If you're spending more money, it means you're getting more unique visitors into the listing. And if you're doing it this well enough with, with the ads, your organic rank is also going up, which means that you're getting more organic sessions as well. And so we're measuring total uh, combined sessions because PPC does have an influence on, on uh, organic. And now as that increases, you're looking at your conversion rate, making sure uh, that that conversion rate doesn't dip too much. If it does dip a lot, that either means that you know you you're not uh, built for scale. So at twenty dollars a day in ad spend, you're doing fine. At one hundred and fifty dollars a day in ad spend, now that a lot of people are seeing you, they're actually not interested. Maybe you just found a small pocket initially, uh, but now like when you expose it to you know to the competition, you're losing. And so, but but if the conversion rate just drops slightly, it's understandable because as you scale, you are the way to scale is by testing a bunch of new different keywords, seeing which ones convert profitably. And, you know, there's definitely going to be ones that don't convert profitably. So double down on the ones that do convert profitably and eventually eliminate the ones that don't. So that's where the drop in conversion rate will happen is as you scale, you spend more money, but some of it is spent on bad traffic that, you know, drops the conversion rate. But then after spending, let's say, a few weeks in that scaling uh, mode where you're spending more money, getting more sessions, uh, you know, and eventually getting more sales because of the conversion rates not dipping too much, you now have increased your number, your amount of traffic, but some of that traffic is costing you money and not converting profitably. So you move into an optimization phase where you're now tracking your spend again, you're cutting down keywords that are spending a lot of money and not generating sales, keywords that are, you know, maybe yes, they are generating sales, but the return on that spend is pretty bad. Um, you know, or maybe you've increased your bid by placement to show up higher for certain placements like top of search. Um, and, and it used to be working and now you're getting a lot more window shoppers and it's not working. So you can cut that back down. And so basically eliminating as much spend as you can, um, while maintaining all of your sales, if possible, by just getting rid of the bad traffic and then watching your spend go down, sessions go down slightly, conversion rate go up. And then your your total profit go up because now you you know you've eliminated that delta in ad spend and so that's pretty much you know kind of like a summary of advertising on Amazon. It's having a very clear dashboard, understanding the actions, understanding that it goes from creating campaigns, getting impressions, people seeing you, those impressions turn into clicks, people clicking on you. A certain percentage of those clicks is actually unique visitors. Tracking that, then from there, uh, you know, looking at your click-through rate, conversion rate, making sure those numbers are healthy, and then either scaling, getting more people into the listing, converting more, and then, you know, sorting through that bad traffic, optimizing, running profitably, increasing your profits. And that's... That was, that was, that was great. And and that was an engineer's explanation, uh, but he's the best, he's the best in the business at, at what we do. 
Um, you know, for me, I, I'm always trying to break it down to to people that are at one on one level. And what it really is, is like, look, to, to win on Amazon, you have to be advertising to grow organically, meaning people just find your store, you have to be advertising, people aren't going to find you in the middle of a field, you have to put up a billboard that says I'm one mile off the exit to the right and come find me, you know, um, that's what advertising does It's it's very much tied into that. It not only brings, um, you know, traffic, but it brings data. And so whenever he says clean up or get rid of the bad traffic or things like that, he's saying there's going to be all types of data that we're getting. You know, you do a setup and then you go into a growth mode. Growth mode means let's go out there and just like, let's do email, let's do text messages, let's do billboards, let's do radio ads, let's do Sirius FM, let's do all these different types of ad types, but on Amazon. And let's see which ones are working, which ones aren't. And then let's do that for several weeks, several months. And you can be optimizing as you go. And then let's go into a mode of, okay, let's clean this up. And, you know, the Sirius FM commercials didn't work that well. The billboards didn't work that well. Uh, the text messages worked great. The Snapchat ads worked great. And you're essentially like going through your ad product line, your carousel and saying, these ones work, these ones don't. Let's tighten it up. Uh, whenever I type in blue raspberry pre-workout, uh, and I show them the blue raspberry pre-workouts working amazing. Okay. Let's keep that one. Whenever I just say pre-workout people are too, you know, they're too, it's too broad and they're bouncing around and it's costing me too much. Okay. Let's not do that yet. And you know, the strategies are endless and that's why, you know, PPC and advertising can be talked about forever because it's a whole bunch of, if this, then this statements, uh, you know, multiplied by a bunch of different factors from content to seasonality, to stock, to, reviews to price point to competition to a whole bunch of outside factors as much as there are inside factors. Um, but this is essentially what's happening either when you hire a firm or you're, you're optimizing your Amazon well, you go into a growth mode, and then you lean up and then you go into growth mode and you lean up just like any other business model, really, when it comes to, to scaling. Um, and I think the same thing happens on the ad side. Uh, I just had a conversation right before this, Mina, a little bit off topic. Um, but we just took over for a brand. It's a new brand we're launching. Um, they've done very well in Canada, very well in the EU. Um, their their .com is uh, more struggling than their other channels, even though they're big in Walmart and all these places. Um, and they're like, you know, we have had a automated PPC software running our ads. When we tried to switch last time, it went really bad. Um, we're not growing on Amazon. We're not being successful on Amazon. But you know, we're profitable. And uh, my ad manager just came in my office and uh, actually I went to the lunchroom and he was laying on the floor and I was like, what's going on? <laughs> and he's like, I just got into the account. And he's like, there's 4,600 active campaigns. Um, guess how many ASINs there are? How many? Two? Eight. Eight. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> This Eight is the thing with software. We've been encountering this so much, dude. Like it, it's been three in the last month where we take over a software. Um, they, they, this is what happens. They cancel their subscription. They shut off the software. We go in, we create some ads, we increase bids, we do something, increase budgets. And next thing you know, we wake up the next day, we look at the history and it says 6,900 changes made yesterday. And I'm like, well, I know it's not my team because that's like not humanely possible by them. So why is a software that you've disconnected, that you've shut off, still making changes in the background? Now, I don't know if this is malicious, or, but, you know, even if it's not, if you are as a software provider, not, you know, aware that your software is making changes that is hurting, you know, your, your old clients, even after they've stopped the service, 
this is still malicious. I mean, it's kind of like, hey, it's not my fault that I killed this person because I left, uh, you know, my stove on and I lit a match by accident. You know what I mean? Like, um, that's it's not an excuse. And so it's crazy. And they make it so complicated that, um, you know, a human can't touch it. And so it becomes like, well, I can't I can't do that. There's no way I could do that or understand my business. There's also no way you could understand what data works for you with 4600 campaigns. There's physically no way. Um, in a given week, you know, any of my team members could open up every single one of those campaigns and ad groups and like, you know, adjust them. So, um, you know, it becomes essentially a nightmare, but those are the strategies I say that don't work and you need to stay away from it. Better to be dealing with something you don't understand and dig into it and start to understand it, um, than just turning on automation. Um, you know, don't let a robot run your PPC, so to speak, but this is the real life example of that. I mean, like, you know, so he was pulling his hair out and I'm like, you know, we're, there's eight ASINs. We'll, we'll take care of this. You know, we're going to be able to handle this. Um, but like, you know, the strategies that are working are ones that are measurable, are ones that you understand what's going on, um, that you have like you're trying a bunch of different product types. I say product types, not in the product we're selling, but the media product that we're buying. Is it a video ad? Is it a product targeting ad? Is it a sponsored product ad? A sponsored brand ad? Is it a DSP ad? Is it sponsored display? These are products. Um, you got to test, you got to try different things. You got to see what's working. Try the picture with the female, try the picture with the male, try the picture with the baby, try the picture with the blue sky, try the picture with the, you know, the sunset. Like, um, you know, you're trying different things within ads and off ads, um, to make things work going into like, you know, just cause we're running up on time. And I know we could talk about PPC forever. I mean, uh, I think we gave an, a good overview of how it works, but like considering Amazon PPC strategies that do work. And let's say you're just trying to give someone a basic, like this is the framework that you should think about when you set it up. We talked about why you need to go into growth mode and then lean mode. Let's leave any of our listeners with like a, a basic strategy that if they were to go back to their team and say, guys, what's our Amazon strategy? It should line up with something like this. What, what do you got for me? Perfect. So let's let's do this pretty nice and simple, right? In, your auto campaign should, should be broken up into four, close match, loose match, compliment, substitutes. Um, you should have your main keywords, uh, you know, in, in campaigns, uh, broad phrase and exact separate campaigns, uh, some other keywords, broad phrase and exact and separate campaigns, find some product targets, um, you know, and, and target them, uh, you know, campaign structure should look like one campaign, one ad group only, uh, because I've seen with multiple ad groups that budget splits unevenly, you can't really control it. So one, one campaign, one ad group, five keywords, max, anything beyond that I'm seeing, um, that like, uh, you know, they're not getting budget, right? Like the keywords like 20 and 30 and 40, just didn't get any any impressions, any budget or anything like that. So uh, have that campaign uh, structure, a minimum of $100 daily budget on the campaign. You're not going to spend all of that money if you control it by having a lower bid. So you can start with a lower bid and work your way up and basically lay that initial foundation of, you know, auto broad phrase, exact product targeting. And then your goal in the in the growth phase is to go into the search term report every you know week or so identify uh, keywords that uh, in auto broad and phrase that had a good return on ad spend so they spent you know significantly less than than the amount of revenue that they generated extract those keywords do not touch them in where, where they are right now but just add them in new campaigns so create brand new campaigns with those keywords in and allow uh, give them more budget allow 
Amazon to spend more money on them. And uh, we don't know. They might work. They might not work. But you're you're testing. And so and everything that you all have been testing right now, if it worked, great. Maybe increase the bid slightly. Uh, if it didn't work, lower the bids so you're not spending as much money on it. Uh, and maybe as you go lower in the search, uh, people who click on you have a higher um, you know, buyer intent, and then they end up converting, or you just end up not spending money on it. And so that's in the growth phase. And when you move into the the optimization phase, everything that you have right now, you're going to go into the search term report, identify any of the keywords that were not profitable. So, so they spent a certain amount of money, let's say $10 in ad spend with no sales, uh, have a very high, uh, have a very low return on ad spend. So let's say anything sub uh, a 2x or, or a 1.5x return on ad spend, you're going to take those keywords and add them as negatives. So Amazon stops spending on them and, and uh, you know, starts utilizing the budget for other keywords that potentially might be more profitable. Um, you know, if you have uh, increased the bids on certain keywords and didn't work out, you can lower the bids. Or if you have certain keywords right now that are, uh, you know, spending money or high uh, ACOS or, uh, you know, low return on ad spend, you can lower those bids and that will clean everything up. And so you're in this cycle of, identifying new and profitable search terms, extracting them, launching them in their own campaigns uh, when you're growing. And then when you're when you're being profitable, eliminating anything that has high spend and no sales or uh, very low return on spend. I love it. That's brilliant. You guys got like, honestly, an amazing Amazon strategy in about two minutes. Um, Mina, it's been a pleasure. I'm going to have you back on the show. This is just round one. Uh, we're going to keep it going. I'm going to put every, in the show notes where people can contact you, find you, um, you know, on, on Trivium or on LinkedIn or on social media. He's everywhere. So you guys can look in the show notes to find him. Um, thank you so much for your time. Shout out again to our sponsor, Fullscale.io. Do you need hire software engineers, testers, or leaders? Let Fullscale help. When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let the platform match you up with a fully vetted, high-experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At Fullscale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit fullscale.io. Mina, thank you so much. Startup Hustle listeners, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. See ya. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.